This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now it's time for Coach Hogg's locker room. Well, good morning, good morning. Here is, uh, well, Coach Hogg for today. I mean, we're going to extend Coach Hogg out to Tuesday, and uh, understandably because of last night's championship game, which was fantastic. By the way, I've got my Ward Scott Files hat on here because I'm undergoing this chemical peel job to eliminate any possibility you can get skin cancer. Man, Florida's got it, doesn't it? So anyway, I'm wearing my lid so I don't scare you too much. And um, once upon a time, we had a bunch of these hats. If there were any demand, I suppose I'd have some more made. So, hey, Tim Martin's in class. Bob Jones is here. Uh, nice to have you guys checking in early and getting here. The early bird catches the worm, right? Well. I tell you, I sat up last night uh, all the way past midnight. I, I, I just was mesmerized. I couldn't um, um, really stop watching the game. And I got to tell you that for once in my life, I was wrong. People were calling me, um, asking me what I thought was going to happen. And at that time, I thought that the, um, the quarterback of Alabama was a little bit better than the quarterback of Georgia, and that would be the difference. And, you know, it would have been, except it was a very good coaching adjustment at halftime. I'm going to get into that in a minute because I could see the transformation. Uh, in the beginning, in the first half, uh, really the aggression was on the Alabama side of the line. And I want to talk about the line. If there's ever a game that illustrates the importance of great linemen, uh, this game does, both defensive and offensive linemen. Uh, those guys are the ones down in what we call the pit. Uh, where it all gets done, the blocking happens, and then you have a chance to either give your quarterback some time to find his receivers or or your back to scat through a hole. This is uh, overlooked by many people. Most people watch the ball. They don't watch where it's really happening, and it's really happening in the offensive line and the defensive line. And those are some big, powerful men, uh, over 300 pounds nowadays. I can remember when Les Bingham and the Detroit Lions was the only NFL player who weighed more than 300 pounds. And boy, he was a, he was a marquee draw. Uh, he was a nose guard, as I recall. Florida at those days, in the Steve Spurrier days, uh, maybe had Frank Lasky, who weighed in at 270. Uh, there were some guys, I think Larry Gagner was 245, if that much. And uh, that was it. But now you've got guys that are lining up, uh, pushing on each other, that all of whom are uh, either nudging 300 or over it, and are very tall as well. You saw a field goal uh, um, um, kick uh, blocked by the arm, extended arm of a defensive lineman for Georgia. Um, the, these things are really where it is being won and lost right now. And it always has been. Uh, one of the great fortunate moments I had was, of course, to have the opportunity to coach with a great coaching staff back way back when, and to be tutored by a, a great line uh, coach who said, come on, I want to teach you everything I know, and then you'll know how this game really works and where to put the pressure. And I got to tell you, the drills we had in that day and time for offensive linemen, if they didn't hustle, they, got, they, they went a little extra, and it was physical. I'm going to tell you, it was physical. We would line up a couple of blocking dummies, and put the whole team on the other side and align up those offensive linemen in single file one after another, and they would have to block those team members uh, as they came through those blocking dummies so there was no way uh, they could scat off to the, uh, avoid blocking them. Uh, they were coming head on in the collisions uh, that would go on. And I, I, in the beginning, when you know the collisions were never acceptable uh, to the coach. I mean, they just, he, he knew that you might, you know, you might tap on your buddies here, 
but we're going to play Coral Gables or we're going to go up to Pensacola or we're even going to go to Greenwood, South Carolina, and we're going to play, we're going to play some bad dudes. And they don't care about you, they don't like you, and they'll fight you. And uh, so it really began in the trenches there, and that's what I was watching last night. And I got to tell you that in the beginning, I didn't think that uh, Georgia could block Alabama, and they weren't blocking Alabama. And Alabama was having their way with shutting down Georgia, and they were relying on the field goals. And I, at that time, knew it was going to be pretty close because they're very much matched uh, in terms of talent. You can see that in, in size and speed and depth. I'm going to get into that in a minute, uh, but uh, uh, that was at that moment I thought, well, it's just a matter of time before Alabama's superior talent and strength and quarterback expertise uh, breaks this thing open. But I'm going to tell you, I wish I had been a fly on the wall during a halftime locker room speech. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I've been in on some real locker room speeches. I'm not talking about these, uh, you know, politically correct things that you think really govern the way the world works. It ain't the way it works in there. I'm going to tell you right now, there's F-bombs flying and there's in-your-face manhood challenges. And, you know, this is a fight and a barroom brawl. You better get in there and win this damn thing or the commies are going to carry your mother off. And, and uh, you know, you can really, uh, if you're really doing a good halftime speech, when you're finished, those guys will run through the concrete wall of the locker room. That's And I've seen them come out of there and throw up. They're so excited about this halftime speech. Uh, I think that Kirby Smart is capable of doing that. I think he does that. And I think he gets in there and challenges these guys and, and gets on them and uh, has no uh, does not mince words and tells them, listen, you're getting your butt whipped uh, and you're, you should be whipping them. If you don't whip them, we're not going to get anywhere. And when they came out of that halftime, uh, they went over there and you, I saw a difference. They began to run the ball, which is exactly what you should do. If you want to establish the manhood power alpha dog on that field, run the ball down their throat and do it and get away with it. And Georgia began to do that, and that opened them up. That put a little bit of doubt in the defensive team of Alabama. They thought, oh, wow, all of a sudden here, this guy's busting loose five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yards. And, you know, where'd that come from? And, and they're getting, uh, you know, they're getting – uh, blocking schemes are working and timing's better and aggression's way up. So that's what I saw when they came out after the halftime speech, whatever it was said. I know it was a, a real manly macho uh, talking to real men about being real men. And that came out there and manifested itself in the behavior right off the bat in the beginning. But still, it was close. Still, it was nip and tuck. And when they rule a fumble for Georgia's quarterback, I, you know, once again, uh, the habitual uh, practices of Alabama's ability to uh, take uh, advantage of uh, something like that come to mind. And you think, well, but by golly, they didn't they didn't take uh, advantage of it the way they could have because uh, Georgia reared up. Georgia's defense, uh, you know, that finally the battle in the lines, both on the offensive and defensive side, began to be won by Georgia. And, um, you know, I think the best thing I have read about this, uh, and it's been printed right away, Tom Fornelli wrote this for CBS Sports. And I don't want to go into the play-by-play -play thing because I'm assuming that you either, either watched it or you know something about it. But he went into the history of how Georgia got to be competitive. And the reason I want to read this into the, uh, into the lesson today in, in class is um, – um, this guy, Nate Napier, or what, you know, come here, whatever his name is, um, you, know, you know, he's asking for patience and time. And what he's asking for is time to establish a footprint in the recruiting world. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get it done. Uh, he's got some real competition in the recruiting world. He's got Georgia. He's got Alabama. There will always be competition in the recruiting world. Uh, and then that, that is, and, and Florida is the fertile ground for the talent, and everybody comes looking for it their talent in the state of Florida. But um, the writer here for CBS Sports pointed out, and this is something I want to share with you all during Coach Hogg's locker room, is that recruiting really matters. Uh, if you want to win a national title, a title um, it doesn't happen by accident. And it begins, and, and this, uh, this writer uh, says it really began when Kirby Smart uh, was on the sidelines with Saban 
and learned under Sabian, Sabin uh, that how important uh, recruiting was. Um, so he, Kirby Smart, has been recruiting, has set recruiting as a priority at Georgia ever since he's been there. Uh, his first season at, at Georgia in 2016. Now, you got to realize when they come in 2016, they may not play until 2017, maybe in 2018. If there's got a lot of depth and they got to be patient as players or they may jump in there right away. But generally, they've got to they've got to work their way up through the gauntlet. So uh, Smart began in 2016. He brought in his class. He brought in in 2016 was ranked sixth in the nation in 247 sports composite. Um, he's never since he's been at Georgia. And for, for those of you who are, who are really uh, aficionados of what I'm talking about, know how important this is. Uh, never since he's been in at Georgia has he uh, brought in a group that's ranked lower than fourth in the five classes uh, since. Um, so he has got depth of talent, depth enough that he can go to his bench if somebody goes down and have somebody in there that about as deep and, 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 and as Alabama, and there's probably nobody in the SEC deeper than uh, Alabama until you come along with Kirby Smart, who learned it from Alabama's coach. So uh, the depth of their talent uh, was uh, evident all through, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because uh, those guys did not really have a weak link. Uh, tremendous uh, defensive linemen and uh, tremendous linebackers, and they were synchronized this time. They were all on the same page. They flew what we always call fly around out there, fly around out there, we used to have a saying, do something even if it's wrong. Don't stand there looking and watching and doing nothing. Do something even if it's wrong. Um, so Georgia is uh, uh, so talented, this uh, uh, CBS writer points out, that it, it won with a walk-on quarterback. This quarterback was not supposed to be good enough to play it at, um, at uh, Georgia. And so he walked on, and by golly, look what he did. So and I had my doubts about him. I didn't think he was... Uh, in the same league as Alabama's quarterback. Um, so Georgia's pass rush um, really began to work because of they got they started getting pressure on this very talented Alabama quarterback, and they made him flinch. Uh, man, he couldn't get anything. He couldn't get away from those guys. He had to get rid of that ball in a hurry. It was just enough pressure, uh, and Alabama really knew they couldn't, um, rely totally on the run because Georgia linemen shut that down too. So um, they uh, they tried to get on the edge with tosses and sweeps, but um, hey, those linebackers from Georgia were very fast. They boxed in defenders. Um, they uh, uh, got out muscled. I mean, it's very rare that you see uh, Alabama's linemen get out, out, out muscled, but you saw that in the second half. Not so much in the first half. So you saw it in the second half. Um, uh, this Stetson Bennett, um, you know, he wasn't overly efficient. He's, as I say, the walk-on. He held on to the ball um, longer than he should have on multiple plays. He got sacked. He threw it up in the stands. Um, this fumble um, was a mistake that he made that could have cost him um, dearly. Um, and he's been known to do this sort of thing in the past under pressure. But this time he kept his cool, and, uh, and he – it went deep, and 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 that really shocked Alabama. Uh, and that's right what Kirby Smart should have called. Hey, buddy, we got nothing else to lose. Let's really go for it. So they went deep, and by golly, they got deep in the corner and got and, and scored with great coverage. And and that was that was also going to take a little bit of the wind out of the sails of of Alabama. Um, so uh, also Williams, who was a top receiver for Alabama. Uh, he suffered a, a knee injury, uh, and that kind of hurt him. Uh, they didn't have a really top-notch receiver of their, of their caliber, if they wanted, who uh, could come out there and pick up the slack. Um, like it or not, you're probably going – these are the two premier teams in the SEC, uh, and I agree with, um, with our analysis here by Tom Farnelli. These are the two top teams in the SEC. Will Florida beat either one of them? I – that remains to be seen. Um, for all, I, it'd be very difficult. Uh, we've got guys getting a transfer portal. We don't have the quarterbacks 
you know, Richardson, what bothers me about Richardson is he's not articulate. He's not well-educated. He might be street smart, but to be a top quarterback, you got to be very articulate, very smart. You can't can't just run fast. You just can't throw far. You've got to be out there uh, kind of the leader and the whole package. And I don't think Richardson's the whole package. I've listened to him talk. Uh, he's, he's not, not eloquent. And you're going to say, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it's got to do a lot with when you get into where you want to be in the upper echelons of the SEC. You better have somebody out there who can think on his feet and who the team respects and they can understand. Um, I don't know what Florida's going to do for a quarterback. The Jones kid is not the answer. Uh, he's too erratic. Um, Richardson remains to be seen. Uh, you know, he's got talent, but I don't think he's got the intellect. Um, and this is a tough score now we're talking about. We grade tough in this sport, um, and we grade tough in all the sports. Look at the grading in figure skating, for example. I've never heard such beautiful skaters get nitpicked so much as they do in figure skating. And it's, it's, it's this way. You get to the top echelons where you want to be in your athletic activity uh, you better be ready to be nitpicked, and actually everything is watched. And so I don't think we're ready. Uh, the question will become, can this new coach, uh, you know, the latest in the end of the coaches, in a series of coaches we've had here, get into the recruiting competition and excel? And because he's not going to get, with well, these two guys around, Al, uh, Saban and Smart, he's not going to get the first pick. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, and he's going to need them, and he's going to need guys who, who have a whole – they come to Alabama, and now Georgia's got it. They come to these schools because they, uh, there's tradition and there's history, and they know what they're getting. I, I think as a, as a kid right now come thinking about Florida, you still don't know what you're getting. It's just uh, – it's, it's too many ifs, and uh, uh, we, we can't figure it all out. So that, that is my uh, take on it, Coach Hogg, and I, I got a pretty good – uh, uh, experience here to look at this from. Uh, what I looked at the whole game was the uh, was the pit, was the offensive and defensive line, um, and uh, uh, that that's where it was going on. And that man, that was that was some great activity down there. Those guys were really banging on each other. Uh, so you know, it finally, it, it became prevailing uh, on the side of Georgia, and they when they ran that ball up the middle. On, on uh, Alabama, I think that broke their spirit a little bit and set up the deep pass in spite of the behavior of the quarterback who fumbled. Uh, when he, but that was great. That fumble was caused by a great rush by Alabama. So it was nip and tuck. It was a great game, one of the best games I've seen uh, in the NFL or college athletics. So um, that's Coach Hogg's take on that in Coach Hogg's locker room. The other thing I want to talk about with you is the dysfunctional city of Gainesville. Um, there are so many things that we are not prepared to talk about right now on the Ward Scott Files. We're trying to put together uh, a composite, uh, uh, yours truly and the research team, uh, several people in the community who have the backstory on the story. Uh, we're putting the pieces together as best we can. We may present it tomorrow. It may have to wait, be, wait another day. But I, I can tell you uh, that, uh, you, you know, this is uh, this is a. Uh, uh, this is um, really a dysfunctional group of people. I've been a city manager. I've been an interim city manager. Now, interim city managers can do things that full-time managers don't do because full-time managers are afraid of keeping their job. Interim city managers, by definition, are only coming there. Uh, they're kind of like interim preachers. You know, I had a friend who was an interim preacher, and he would go around to uh, different uh, congregations, and they'd hire him. Uh, to, and he could give them fire and brimstone and they'd take it because after all, he was an interim guy and he'd be at the next church down the road six months from then. And I also have a friend who is kind of a professional interim college president. And um, he's made quite a handsome little place in the world for himself doing that. He goes out and, you know, takes over this school for a while until they do it. He doesn't want to be the permanent uh, president. He, he wants to be the interim because you can do more quite often as the interim so, the, you know, but we're, we're looking at behind the story on this. Uh, the, the biggest joke of all is moving Tony Jones into any position where he has to read and write. Um, you, you know, and it's just a joke. I mean, you can't, I guess, I mean, it's the Peter principle for you. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, you know, 
It's it's an amazing uh, set of reassignments. I mean, I've checked out with some of the people behind the scenes that the one word that keeps coming up is the city is completely dysfunctional. Um, you've got this complicated situation of seven commissioners, all of whom come from the same party, all of whom think they know the answer is the worst of which probably is banana pudding. Uh, Harvey Ward, he thinks he's the mayor. He comes out and talks. Uh, he's he's um, he's the one who is responsible for uh, taking the bus wraps off that had anything to do with the ladies in bikinis. As a, uh, I guess you know this story. He was uh, at a stoplight with his dear precious daughter, uh, who probably is pubescent at the time. I mean, you know, 14, 15, uh, you know, right in there. Uh, and, you know, has like all the other kids, has got television, TikTok, everything else. And he's sitting at a, tra- a stoplight and the bus goes by with a plastic surgeon's uh, advertisement on it. And it's a bikini woman. And he says this from the public diet. This is a public record. He says from the public diet, Deus, uh, I'm not going to have that anymore. I don't want my daughter to have to see on a bus here in the city of Gainesville a, a, a female in a bikini. Well, you know, this is Florida, for God's sakes. What's it, what the heck's wrong with this guy? So anyway, I haven't seen any more uh, ads up there. Now, these ads have to clear all sorts of censorship and scrutiny before they're ever on the side of the bus. So what you got now is you just got lawyers, liars all over the place on the side of these buses. And um, uh, the city makes, last time I checked, the city makes about 500000 a year off of these, off people paying for this advertisement on these buses. It might be more now. And uh, and so, you know, this obviously, this this doctor who who had the, you know, he, he didn't put that up there without scrutiny and clearance and all that. But Banana Putin thinks he is the Pope, I guess. And he just comes along and declares no more. And the other idiots up there with him put up with it. Um, so that's basically a microcosm of the decision making skill of the group you've got up there who are trying to run a town. And, uh, and I'm hearing from the insiders who consistently live in Gainesville and vote that they're not going to vote for Cynthia Chestnut. They've had it with her. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, that woman has been involved in everything, automatically gets real. The Chestnut name is an automatic, you know, I mean, you they can't, you know, that and Rodney Long and that crowd, we're going to get into Rodney Long, but we're going to get into Rodney Long in a much deeper way than I've got time now because there's some things going on with him that will raise your eyebrows. But they always have been. There always have been. There's a set of rules for us and then a set of rules for them. We've been investigating him ever since black loan fraud and uh, uh, all that crowd. And no, nothing ever came of that. Uh, you know, what was happening in the legislature out of white guilt what would give uh, black uh, folks uh, startup money for businesses. And then they'd let the doggone fox guard the chicken house. And they let people like Rodney Long be the administrators of the money, which never got down to the people who needed it. He siphoned it off. And then never paid it back. And, 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 and so we've got, and I mean, that's, I'm going to say allegedly in front of everything so you don't freak out, but we've got records of all that. We checked it. We watched it. And, you know, he still got this mysterious resignation from the county commission. Now, why would a dude quit an $80,000 a year job where you don't do anything but sit on your butt and run your mouth and it's part time? Why would he quit that job, which he did in the, when he had another year left on his term? Nobody's ever going to find out. But I can tell you there's a backstory to that. And we were we were getting ready to blow it out. So we're going to wait here a little bit and put some more pieces together. You've got a lot of crazy things going on in the city of Gainesville. You've got the you've got the. Uh, and by the way, you know, you know, uh, there are there are some people who have been. I'm going to get into this probably very soon. Now, there are some well-known people in this community who have been subpoenaed to be deposed in the Collier International boss heart thing who have are help being held in contempt of court okay i'm talking about public officials okay i'm not going to get into it right now the names but it will be very soon i'll disclose those names it's public record subpoena to be deposed and is they're being held in contempt of court now will anything happen to them no 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 don't think there will be because there's double standards the little guy down on the bottom of the totem pole he does. He gets thrown in the jug and he has to get a liar and get bonded and all that. The up, up, or up at the top in the Politburo, uh, which we have here in Gainesville in the county, uh, you can probably do whatever you want to do because you're the, just like Pelosi. Pelosi doesn't divest herself from her business interests. She feeds her inside trader information to her husband. 
who invests in the stocks. I mean, it's, you know, I would have her sit down, you know, but there's nobody to tell her to sit down. That's the problem. I had this thing going on in the city of Archer when I was uh, the city manager. I had a city commissioner with a real estate license evaluating the real estate value of city property. And then, you know what, you know, you got, hey, I called that person in right away and I said, hey, you're going to stop that. Why that wasn't stopped before I got there, I have no idea. But I said, you're going to recuse yourself. Next time we have a city piece of property that we're going to talk about, the value of, you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to vote on it. And I had I had that woman sign the paper. But way nobody making Pelosi sign the paper. This is what's wrong. When you get up into Congress, they can break the rules because they make the rules. And they're breaking the hell out of them all over the place. I'm going to get into a little bit of that in a minute. So uh, it's it's really it's really uh, um, it, it, it's, it's it's nuts, but it is it is it, it, well we'll just save it we'll just save it. The big story na- statewide is the legislature has reconvened, and the big piece of the legislation that's going to matter is uh, DeSantis's uh, uh, election fraud police. Uh, he's going to put together. And uh, and uh, and this is what he wants. He wants election fraud cops. And uh, I have to think that what we've been doing has helped uh, him make that decision and has trickled up to him because we have got evidence of things that just aren't right. Let's put it that way. If I use the F-bomb while the algorithm boys up here in the social platforms, which we use, will ding me. So I'm going to stay away from that. But you're going to get you're going to get the point here that uh, there's something going on here. And uh, uh, DeSantis knows it. Of course, he's being, he's being slandered and he's being constantly criticized in the uh, Gainesville sunset, which, by the way, the word we get is just about uh, like a fish on the dock, just about to flop its last flop. Uh, when they fired or retired the Birkenstock writer, Swerko, they got down to the bottom of the barrel. There's not only uh, the word we get. There's only two reporters over there. And I think if it weren't for a couple of things, sports and uh, 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 politicians needing to advertise someplace where they are. And it's always the newspapers. There wouldn't be a newspaper. So we're going to see. We also hear tell that there are some negotiations going on right now uh, with somebody who may come back and try to resurrect this paper, who is a, a, a very, very big fan of the Word Scott Files. So if that happens, and we'll uh, we'll be we'll be a little we'll have a different relationship with the Gainesville Sunset than we do right now because uh, we used to feed inside stories that, that we did the research on because they got no research team at at the Sunset. Uh, we used to feed them over to this this particular person, uh, and we fed them elsewhere. We fed them to Politico. We fed them to uh, you know Florida politics. We fed them fed them up to. Uh, you know, even out to Texas, we fed them out there when we were chasing uh, Christopher Chestnut out there who was chasing ambulances. Um, well, actually, he was chasing hearses. Uh, 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 he wasn't chasing ambulances. He was chasing hearses. So, um, uh, you know, so we'll, that may come that may come to pass and we'll have a connection there. Just want to keep you up to date. But we're not going to get into I uh, see some people asking me here about uh, the major shakeup. Janet Hunter is asking me. Uh, we're working on the story. We're not going to go uh, uh, right now into the uh, details of what we're getting because we're not ready to put it together. But there's some things going on that make you wonder about the ethics of these people. Um, you know, I heard tell somebody down at the school board was complaining that there might have been a sunshine law violation. Good luck. You know, those things never, ever, ever, ever uh, get looked at. I mean, my golly. You know, it takes an act of Congress. Well, you can't even say that because they're crooked. But um, you can't get anybody caught on sunshine law violation. It, it just don't do it. I mean, I mean, it just don't do it. I mean, the, the prosecutors, Savone didn't want to touch it because it was political. Uh, we haven't run anything by. Well, I did. I actually got into a discussion and got into a heated. Well, I won't say heated, but a pretty intense conversation with Brian Kramer, who was the assistant uh uh, district attorney uh, uh, then, who is now the DA, uh, about the uh, potluck supper out in Hawthorne when um, um, 
Byerly and Hutchison and Cornell went out there and uh, to a meeting to kill Plum Creek. And uh, this meeting, you know, was not a noticed meeting uh, per se. And it wasn't some place where uh, three commissioners out of the five should have been sitting in a room together discussing legislation that they were eventually going to uh, vote on. I couldn't I couldn't win that. Uh, that's where I first came in contact uh, with the Wicked Witch, who, who's my friend now, Michelle Lieberman, who was attorney then. And Michelle Lieberman was able to get information as a, as the county attorney, scot free, and I had to pay for it. And that's one of the reasons we're so appreciative of the donors here on our show, uh, because sometimes we, you know, they do that. They try to screw us. Uh, the inside politicians can get the information without any payment, but you come from the outside and try to get it, and they'll charge you. And um, it's a way of deterring what they'll what they'll do. Is they say, oh well, we we have to take man hours. They don't use man anymore, but we have to take employee hours off of the off of a task and assign them to fulfill your your public records request. So, you know, who's going to pay them for doing that? You know, well, you're going to pay them and we're going to charge you X number of dollars. It's always a racket. And um, so I ran into it when I was trying to get the record on the potluck supper. Uh, there was a videotape that I was told existed I never could get. Uh, so I'm going to tell you right now, I've been involved with, you know, all the rewards got fraud files were based on uh, uh, sunshine law violations, which, um, uh, uh, many of the really fine legal minds here said they were guilty of, uh, but Cervone wouldn't touch it. And, um, and he didn't want to do anything political. So um, my point is, it's very hard to drag these people uh, into justice. And um, we're kind of a busy, busy as a one arm paper hanger trying to get it done. So uh, we, 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 you know, I like it. I mean, I like being able to perform a duty for the, for the community and, and, uh, uh, help you all, uh, you know, get a, a, a pretty good class. So, uh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's even more irony. Armando Grundy Gomez wakes up every once in a while and has a comment as if nobody knows that. Everybody knows that, Armando. We don't know the, you don't know the backstory. Uh, he's a character. I tell you what, uh, he's rolled out every once in a while to stick on some committee to kill something. He was rolled out 10 years ago to stick on the Charter Review to kill the single member districts. Uh, his vote uh, was one of the ones that killed it. Uh, he was put there for that reason, uh, you would have to think. So, so um, he, here we're going to go through the state legislature. That's going to be another interesting thing while I'm reporting on the legislative going back into session. Uh, I talked with uh, Keith Perry about this, and uh, I can tell you there's some things I can't talk with you about right now, but this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a full court press. And we're going to find out who's bore at the cabbage. And, and we're tired of these guys like uh, uh, these people who are on this charter review to being deliberately picked as sycophants to the left and uh, deliberately blocking just the opportunity for the people to decide. And we don't even know if the people will go for it. Um, that's what's so weird about this. This is real voter suppression. You talk about voter suppression. That is voter suppression. Blocking something from going on uh, the ballot that you don't know the outcome of, but you're scared to death, it might be an outcome you don't agree with. So as a politician, you you prevent the people from being able to vote on it. I mean, it's nuts. That goes on here all the time. So we've got a governor now who understands this. He ain't no dummy. He understands this. And he's also got, got a lot of courage. And he's very articulate, and you're not going to get around him very easily. You have to get up by, by the way, uh, and, uh, and uh, conspiracy theories. You are a walking conspiracy theory, Gomez. So <laughs> I love teasing that guy. He, he is absolutely most ineffective person I know here publicly. But I, he's our boy. He's our Armando. Hey, listen, we're going to take a break. I'm going to get into a Dokovich. I'm going to get into COVID for a while. and. Um, uh, we're going to have a Delta Tron correction on COVID, by the way. Uh, it looks as if now that there's no Delta Cron, which is a combination of uh, 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 the two, it is a lab uh, screw up. So uh, hold on to your hat. You don't have to run out and get a, yet another shot for that. Um, so we are going to get into some race-based treatments, though, 
of the uh, treatment. You remember my friend who was in South Florida who went down there to give out the, um, the shots in South Florida free. Uh, black folk wouldn't take them because they thought the white folk were trying to maybe bump them off with the shot. And this is not new. This is one of the things that's, uh, you know, you just got to deal with. So they ended up, this was Pfizer, the, the Pfizer, I can, you know, this is, I'm not making this up. He told it to me. I mean, after, you know, he gave me, he gave me weekly reports. They'd have to end up taking that Pfizer and dumping it out in the ocean. I mean, because once you open Pfizer, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't keep it because it, you know, unlike the Moderna, you could keep it. All right. We're right back on the Ward Scott Files. We'll have a, a thank our sponsors and all, and maybe run you a couple little ditties we haven't had out there lately. And we'll come back in and talk about um, uh, the big lie narrative and denying Trump and the Democrat logic. I want to get into the Democrat logic um, a little bit because it is it is really through the looking glass upside down. We're right back in the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. Achtung, Achtung, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Much schnell! Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. All right. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here. Was Coach Hogger for a while, giving you analysis of what it's like to be in the trenches and coach those guys and um, what it takes to be a dominant alpha dog down there where it's all happening in the defensive and offensive lines. Um, COVID, I, you know, once again, we got to devote a little time to COVID. The biggest story in the world, probably not right now with COVID, is Djokovic, who is um, the number one player in the world. He supposedly has been released uh, from his confinement in Australia. Um, and um, he's um, maybe able to return to the tennis court. That's still un, uh, uh, unclear. Uh, and it's been quite a, it's been quite a uh, deal. I started to run perhaps some of the video that uh, happened once uh, he was released. There was a big crowd and, uh, you know, cheering. And then some were also against it because they felt it was a double standard. And because he was the number one player in the world, he, uh, he didn't have to go through the lockdown they had to go through. So this whole deal of to mask or not to mask, to, to confine or not to confine, has been, you know, running a lot of the world's agenda. And it's backfiring on Biden because Biden put his uh, foot in his mouth again and said he was going to be able to cure it and obviously hadn't. And uh, they don't know what to do with him half the time. So the Djokovic update is, let me just say it this way, it's still up in the air. Nobody really knows. Finally, if on January or 17th, he'll be on that tennis court. He should be out there practicing. He needs it. Everybody does at that level. Um, another thing that is going on is um, uh, this is an article by uh, about New York city you know new york city is a uh, is a weird place and you know you like it it's attractive i like to go there i go to the u.s open it's a big dazzling compression of humanity of all sorts and neighborhoods and things and you the best way to travel is to get yourself a really good uh guy to, to spirit you around down the back streets and everything i don't want to get on the 
subways and things like that. I like to be spirited around by my own personal driver. So, um, and I'm willing to pay for that because I think it's worth it. But um, apparently in New York, there's some race-based preference COVID treatments going on right now. And it, it looks as if that the standard criteria like age and comorbidities, like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, um, are um, those are supposedly reasons why uh, you should be receiving these drugs. But also, uh, they've added in New York, according to John Judas and Ruth Texera, uh, in a Wall Street Journal analysis, uh, that if you're non-white, Hispanic, or Latino, uh, that can, should be considered a risk factor. So, you know, this is so ironic to me because I have the memory of my friend in South Florida who could not convince black folk there that uh, they needed the shot. And they were convinced that the whites were trying to kill them, so to speak. Here in New York, they've actually listed this as a criteria. If you are a, a Hispanic or Latino or a non-white race, then you're a risk factor. And the reason you're a, fit, a risk factor is a social, get this now, this is the social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death. Isn't that something? Okay. Isn't that something? I, I, I almost think it's the opposite. I, you know, we talk about this. Uh, we were talking about this the other, other day with the so-called millennial kids. And, and I was talking about it with a man of my generation. And when we were kids, we, our mothers just threw us out in the yard and we ate dirt and played in a sand pile and wore no shoes and, and uh, you know, grew up strong like bull. You know, these kids are not out there in the sand pile. They're not out there working outdoors. They're behind the video games. And, you know, they don't have tans. They don't have uh, calluses. And they're, uh, and, they, and they're hiding behind closed doors. And, uh, and, and, and they're... Yeah, so I always thought it was the opposite. I thought if you wanted to get strong like bull and get your immune system up, get out in the dirt and play with it. And, you know, that's that's what I always thought was the case. And and you know, you could be strong and resist things that people were who couldn't who were pampered got. So this is exactly the opposite. Um, there's a case, for example, in this article: a middle-aged investment banker born in Columbia shows up at a physician's office in Manhattan and laid-off middle-aged worker of Italian ancestry shows up at a doctor's office in Rochester, New York. Neither has a medical has medical risk factors, but most, both have mild to moderate COVID-19. The wealthy Colombian America could be given uh, uh, a drug that uh, would uh, uh, the laid-off worker would be turned away for. So, um, you know, this is, I don't know what makes New York tick. What worries me is that they come to Florida and gum up our works. And um, they have money because uh, um, what they pay for up there goes farther here. And so they come down here and gum up our, our state. So uh, there isn't any study, according to the analysis here by these writers, that shows that uh, uh, you know uh, Americans of Hispanic or African or Asian ancestry are, are at any greater risk for severe COVID. It's, it's just nothing, nothing there. But the liberal, according to the analysis here, the liberal political scientists and many Democratic officials um, have, have been using this. They have been using it once again as a great uh, source of division uh, and makes COVID treatment. I never, I'd never thought of it, but, you know, make COVID treatment race based. I mean, come on. Are you got to be kidding me? Um, so. Uh, that that's kind of where we are with COVID. it's not going to ever go away and we're going to have to learn to live with it and all that good stuff so um uh, the other thing that we're looking at of course is um uh, the 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 um, whole deal of um uh, of, you know, trying to wrest political control into one corner of the country by one group of people and 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 this has been going on See, the only the only thing that gave him a bump in the road was when Trump was elected. Otherwise, you'd have had Hillary the liar as your president. And God knows she's dirty. Uh, people ask me all the time, is she going to be brought? I doubt she's ever going to be brought to justice. I don't see why. Um, um, is it, You know, why would you why would you ever ever bring her to justice? I mean, it, it, it's, it's not. Why would you? I mean, where'd you put her? Rikers Island or something? I mean, it's not going to happen. So um, uh, the, the Democrat logic, I mean, I'm gonna go to, I found this article uh, by a, a guy named uh, 
uh, Nicholas Giordano. I used to know a guy named Giordano who uh, played uh, guard for us here, played defensive tackle for us here for the Gators. Um, Nicholas Giordano, he's a professor of political science, and um, uh, you know he's talked about, and uh, probably a conservative one, very few of those. Uh, the Democrats are using what Giordano calls Democrat logic, and they're trying to save democracy. And so uh, Giordano says what they're really doing is trying to save democracy by destroying it. Now, th this, this is an illusion to a, a saying in, out of Vietnam. We had to uh, uh, destroy the village in order to save it. And what they were talking about in Vietnam is they had to burn the village down uh, and, and so that it wouldn't exist for communism to become a political entity. So you destroyed the village, you destroyed the people's homes and all that, and if you needed to, the people, uh, and, then you just, and then you saved it from democracy. Um, this is kind of what Giordano says uh, Schumer and these guys are after. They're going to uh, rig the Senate rules if they have to. They'll do what they can, uh, pack the court, change the electoral court, whatever they can do in violation of the constitutional principles and axioms uh, in order to save it, so to speak. Um, the biggest thing they're doing, of course, we know this. I think even the even the only the only the people with their head in the sand, there's a lot of them would not realize that they're using the capital, quote unquote, riot, which is not an insurrection, as an exploitation. Um, and it's becoming a slow motion train wreck for them, Giordano says. Everybody is beginning to see through this. Um, well, I, mean, you know, I saw through it from the day one. It's just an extension of everything they've been trying to do uh, for the, you know, the entire time uh, Trump was in. Uh, Trump is the, is the one. They think without Trump, there couldn't be anybody, uh, 75, 76 million people would rally around. And so they really would like to send uh, Trump off to the same place they put Napoleon. Uh, they just like to isolate him on an island. And that way, the 75, 76 million people uh, would not be disgruntled. They'd just, be, they'd just shut up and, and sit down and take it. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they couldn't have any choice and they if they, they you know, couldn't express any dissent, uh, they couldn't put let's go Brandon on any restaurant menu. Um, they couldn't, you know, all that kind of business. You couldn't have any uh, point of view that criticized uh, Biden. But, you know, you could have all kinds of points of view that criticized Trump. So everybody's starting to see that, I think. And, um, and Giordano is writing about this. Um, the uh, uh, what he says that what you're seeing right now. Uh, by by uh, Pelosi, Palsy Pelosi, and, and 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 by the way, they're scared to death that the Republicans will take over Congress and fire them all from their uh, committees they've been using to violate the Constitution. Um, so what we're seeing today, uh, Giordano says, is the real threat to democracy by them trying to control the narrative and uh, control uh, all the uh, different uh, media outlets and. Uh, uh, you know, use words like domestic terror threats and uh, command and control structures and operational capabilities and um, um, things that, you know, didn't exist. So um, they're putting democracy in danger. Uh, you can agree or disagree with this, by the way. It's your, all kinds of people watch the show, listen to the show, talk about the show. That's okay. It's a, it's a classroom. You can agree or disagree. This is food for thought. Uh, so the democracy really right now is in danger. Um, it's in danger because we've elected, according to Giordano, and appointed officials who have no regard for the Constitution. And it's, that's pretty easy to demonstrate. That's not very difficult to demonstrate at all. Um, they, uh, the, you know, what is right, what is, is the privy of the states, they want to run over that and federalize. They want to weaponize the institutions. They've been doing that ever since Comey and, and, and uh, the Ghoul. They've weaponized strict, struck, struck, and stroke. Uh, all those were weaponizations of the institutions of trust uh, try to get Trump and the, the lying the phony dossier and all that. You know, my God, who doesn't believe that? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, you have a you have a federal agency now, which is Congress, according to Yordano, creating a BS investigation into a duly elected president because they don't like him. That's it, because they don't like him. And I would go one step further. They're afraid of him. They're afraid of his ability to coach. I mean, let me tell you, let me use the analogy. I just told you or suggested to you that you 
would have been a fly on the wall in the halftime speech of Kirby Smart to his team, you would have heard of Donald Trump. You would have heard somebody who would have used colorful language, who would have put manhood on the line, who would have called people names, who would have done all the things you say, oh, my God, how did he do it? Hey, buddy, they busted the door of the locker room down, did they not, so to speak, which I've actually seen happen. Um, and when they come out of the locker room at halftime and they go out and kick butt then, you think that was a uh, you think that was a little pansy speech at halftime in that game? Uh, you, you think that uh, um, these Democrats aren't afraid of the ability of Trump to give a pep talk? Uh, you looked at the crowds, you looked at the lines that went to his, and you don't think that didn't scare them? And what you do here in this community in the city of Gainesville, you get, you get the biggest neutered eggheads in public office you can possibly get. And then you get all the people that, by extension, will represent your point of view. And, and you know, you get, you've got them. You've got them all up on that dais right now. Banana Pudding, Harvey Ward, um, the communist from uh, Cuba, the, the girl, the woman, um, you know, and, and uh, um, the uh, boy with a girl named Lauren, um, girl, you know, whatever, girl named Sue and all that business. So, so you know, you, that's what you've got. And, and um you, you know, then, then they create, and by the way, you, there's not going to be any investigation created at the city of Gainesville. Uh, we know what should be investigated. Believe me, we know what you, you're not going to get it. So um, you might get it if the right pressure is put by uh, uh, the right people. Um, so here's what we got. Uh, we've got Democrat logic, according to Giordano. And Democrat logic is making the argument that in order to save democracy, uh, we actually have to destroy it. Um, and by that, he means, uh, um, you know, alter the Constitution, alter the Senate rules. Uh, um, meanwhile, things are going crazy. And I do agree with uh, our guest the other day that the most important issue going on in the country is immigration. You don't hear a single thing about immigration. They put the most incompetent, distasteful woman, Kamala Harris, her own people, walked out on her in the primaries. Really, think remember, you remember that? She was so boring and so dumb in the primaries, I don't think she got a handful of votes. And yet here she is, the VP, one heartbeat away. And you know she's supposedly in charge of the immigration. She, she ain't been there. So uh, there's nobody being held accountable for the failures in Afghanistan, Giordano writes. Uh, there's nobody being held accountable for the immigration issues that people are clamoring about. Um, where does this manifest itself quite frequently? It manifests itself uh, uh, in, in, in school boards. And we're looking at the, 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 the kind of intensity of school board meetings. They used to be as boring as paint dry. I mean, come on. Uh, what's so exciting about a school board meeting? But, you know, by golly, you know, now you take a look at them and they're kind of the epicenter of things. Um, the um, so here, uh, Renato Marato. I've been researching so this from Politico. Um, you've got Liz Cheney, okay, and she's a traitor to the Republican Party and all. Uh, she has um, taken upon herself to change the language uh, of, uh, uh, and I'm going to read the passage that she changed. Um, she um, led members of the of, of a committee uh, in a PowerPoint presentation on. Uh, uh, to to question the you know once again the the election process and she's vice chair of this committee and uh, she paraphrased 18 USC uh, 1512 and she said it, it made it a felony to attempt to uh, uh, corruptly obstruct influence or impede any uh, official proceeding um, she didn't use the exact language of the statute she inserted four words into this, and this is typical, uh, I would argue, um, did Donald Trump through action or inaction um, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress? Uh, and she inserted the words, they're not there in the original uh, policy, in the original statute, they're not there. She puts them, but you know, this is like my buddy who was the, who was the butcher. He told me that if the woman comes in and looks at the meat behind the window and says, why is that meat green? He knows that she doesn't have the answer. 
So he's free to tell her anything he wants to tell her. So I said, well, lady, that meat's green because that cow ate a lot of grass. This is the same thing. If you don't know the original statute, well, Channing can put anything in there she wants to put in there, and you won't know it, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, they're trying to make a criminal law for punished people for not taking action. You know, it, it, it is a, that's another part of their Democrat logic. Uh, you're going to punish somebody for not taking uh, action. Pelosi was in charge. Let's get it straight. Pelosi is in charge of capital security. And Trump had asked her several days before this crowd ever came to D.C. to have the National Guard ready. And she didn't do it. Now, the analysis I'm getting from in, my friends, my insiders in D.C., uh, they're telling me that she did this deliberately and Trump wasn't smart enough to see it. Uh, I don't know if he could have done anything about it anyway. But what she did is she laid a trap for him uh, by deliberately not providing protection with the National Guard. Uh, you have to remember that when uh, the kid, Kyle Reichenhaus, went out to that uh, deal with the gun, the reason there was all that disorder and chaos in that city is the governor had not protected private property with the National Guard. Okay, so people felt desperate. And they, they were just, you know, gathering around their property to protect it as best they could because the liberal governor would not call out the National Guard. Pelosi deliberately, according to the analysis I'm getting, I'm talking about people that are inside, inside in D.C., are telling me that everyone knows there what she did. She deliberately did not call out the Guard to set up Trump and his followers and then blame him for an insurrection. You know, this is an old tactic. My God, we did it with the Gulf of Tonkin. Johnson did it with the Gulf of Tonkin. Lincoln did it with Fort Sumter. What you do, you see, Sumter needed some, uh, some toilet paper. And so it's on the sovereign state then of South Carolina. So what happens is uh, South Carolina makes a, make, makes a mistake. Uh, they go, you know, Lincoln sails in there with a the toilet paper, so to speak, and then the shot heard around the world starts the war. The South fires on the ship. You know, we do this all the time at Guantanamo. We maintain Guantanamo, and we, you know, refurbish Guantanamo and all this, and we dare the Cubans to attack us while we do it. And we want them to. Well, maybe. Maybe we don't have the guts to do it now. But once upon a time, so that's what Johnson did with the Gulf of Tonkin. He couldn't find a justification to bomb North Vietnam, so he sails the, the ship into the water, the territorial waters of, of, North, of North Vietnam, and, of course, they fire on it. And then he says, well, you son of a guns. We didn't mean to be in there. We made a mistake, and you went ahead and fired us, so we're going to bomb the hell out of you. This is an old trick. It's an old, old feint, okay? Everybody knows that who plays this game the way you want to play it in a rough-and-tumble way. You know it. I mean, you're not fooling anybody. We know all these. We know all these strategies. So, uh, you know, they're trying like crazy to to come up with a conspiracy. Uh, oh, old Mondo over here running his yak about conspiracies. It is the Democrats who are trying to find proof of a conspiracy, not the Republicans. Mondo, uh, I'm glad he tunes in, and maybe he'll learn something. The guy comes to class every once in a while. You can't learn anything just coming to class occasionally. So, uh, you know, it, it, the conspiracy uh, is, is in the, the, the Democrats are looking for one as best they can, and they can't find one. They can't find any evidence of one. That wasn't a well-organized military campaign, for God's sakes. You're looking at a guy who got an A-plus in military strategy in, mil in military school. I know a damn military campaign when I see one. It certainly wouldn't have been conducted that way. Are you kidding me? Um, you know, oh my God. So there we are. There we are. You know, I, I, I get a kick out of uh, some of the people who, who accuse the Republicans of a conspiracy. Uh, the, the Democrats are the one. They've been looking for it since Hillary, for God's sakes. All right. Have a great day. We're going to get to the bottom of what's going on in the city sooner or later. A Warthog Command Center out.